Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 343. First thing I tell them is just to shoot thousands of pictures. Um, not only the more you take, the better you'll get at it. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and interior, is with a car cover? I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. 2015 marks Covercraft's 50th anniversary. They've manufactured premium quality exterior and interior covers here in the United States with a reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit with over 80,000 patterns and growing. You can choose from dozens of fabric options and accessories, all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicle. Made in the USA, Covercraft is the right choice. I've protected my special rides with their covers for over 40 years, and you should too. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, all the way from England, James Mann. James, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Already, Mark. All right. Great to have you here. James Mann is a professional photographer, but first, he's a dyed-in-the-wool car and motorcycle nut. He lives in Dorset in the United Kingdom and travels around the world photographing people, landscapes, and his favorite subjects, cars and motorcycles. His images have appeared in over 50 books, hundreds of magazines, and his latest work is a marvelous book titled A Lamborghini, Supercars 50 Years. James has participated in classic saloon car racing and classic rallies and enjoys time in his shop with his Austin Healey 3000 and a 1965 Triumph T100 SC motorcycle. Very cool. James, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your career and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Yeah, sure, Mark. Um, so, I mean, I started out uh, quite late um, in, in a career of uh, a, a car photography. Uh, I went to art college uh, when I was 24, um, having spent about uh, five five years just uh, traveling around the world, you know. And that actually um, was a good experience for me because, um, I mean, we're in a communication industry and um, there's no point being one of the greatest. Uh, you could be the greatest photographer in the world, but if you can't talk to people, that's actually uh, the, the greatest uh, skill I think that you need. Um, well, actually, to be in almost any business these days. Yep. Um, so uh, after college, you know, um, I did a bit of assisting work with a couple of car photographers who I knew because I was already interested. And um, then I got a job on Classic and Sports Car magazine, which at the time was quite a young magazine. And now it's um, by far the biggest and most widely read uh, classic car magazine in the world. So I kind of fell on my feet. <laughs> I'm a subscriber. You know, I learned about you through this latest book, and we're going to be talking about that as we move through here. But I always like to start by asking my guests for an inspirational quote or some kind of mantra that's important in their lives. Maybe it's been instrumental in forming your life and in your career. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on cars. Yeah. So James, take the wheel. 
Okay, well, I, I, I really, I, I get quite a lot of people asking me for advice about um, how to photograph cars. Um, in fact, um, as you'll hear, I actually wrote a book about it because I got so many people asking me for advice. And really, generally, my, my, the first thing I tell them is just to shoot thousands of pictures. Um, not only the more you take, the better you'll get at it. But when you see how many pictures I take over a Goodwood weekend, which is coming up for, for me um, in the next uh, 24 hours. Oh, I know. I am so jealous. <laughs> sure. Well, uh, it's, it's going to be a good one, actually. I think we're going to have a little rain on Saturday. But I'll come back from that with, um, I don't know, maybe five or 6,000 pictures. Wow. And then, so the main thing is to shoot lots and then to be able to recognize what is the good picture. So to be able to edit. And you only get that from looking at other work, looking at lots of other magazines, looking at um, books of, of favorite photographers and uh, artists. Then you can pick out what's a good shot and what's not. You know, your comments uh, really ring true to me because I have a son who's starting a senior year of college right now. And I've been taking him to car events and, and vintage racing when I used to do that for years. And I've always put a camera in his hand and said, hey, have some fun and shoot. And I've noticed over the, the recent past years, his photography has really taken a life of its own. And I asked him once, I said, wow, you're, you're shooting some really cool things. How are you learning to get these, these angles in these shots? And he said, well, Dad, you have like hundreds of car books on your shelves. I've been looking at them for years, and I just look at what other people are doing and, and try to copy it and then put my own little twist on it. So what you're saying is absolutely true. Shoot a lot, look at what other people are doing. And great editing, of course. So I think it's fantastic advice. And I assume that you've used that in your own life because you talk about, my goodness, five to 6,000 images in a weekend. That's incredible. Absolutely. And in fact, the Festival of Speed weekend, I might shoot more than that. In fact, I think my record is nearly 11,000. Oh, my gosh. But actually, I can flick through those now with the modern um, uh, editing software. You know, um, you can flick through them very quickly. Um, obviously, um, the way I work is I usually work for a number of different clients. Um, so I may work for a sponsor, um, a magazine, and possibly a couple of drivers um, who, who want some shots of their car at the event. And so I know exactly what I'm looking for. Plus, I'll generally shoot some atmosphere um, of, of the whole uh, event just to give some kind of flavor of the of the weekend you know um and then put it all together in a package and um, i'll also try and market that after the event um to, to various magazines and that's been quite successful over the years so you know it seems to work well yes obviously it's that old adage how do you get to carnegie hall practice 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 so <laughs> great would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars I know you're a car guy, you're a motorcycle guy. Could you tell me, was there a pivotal moment in your life, as you can remember, when you really knew you were a car guy? Well, when I was a kid, um, in fact, I, I grew up all, all of my uh, young life and uh, into adulthood in London. And um, we lived just down the road from um, uh, a great racetrack at Crystal Palace, which you may have heard of. It. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, it's in South London. And it, it they stopped, stopped racing there in the early 70s, but I was just old enough to go with my father. It was only about um, half a mile up the road, up the hill from where we lived. So as a child, I remember hearing the cars going round. Um, and at the time, they were probably doing um, saloon car racing with minis and galaxies and uh, <laughs> Mustangs and all sorts of stuff like that. I seem to remember those. Um, but they also did kind of some Formula Two. But actually, back in the day, um, when it um, first opened, it opened before the war, they had a proper Grand Prix there. They had a, the London Grand Prix was held at Crystal Palace. 
And it was a pretty tight winding circuit just around a municipal park. Um, so it's incredible to think of, you know, auto unions and the Silver Arrows Mercedes thundering around uh, the kind of narrow track with the trees overhanging and, uh, you know, all of the other Victorian kind of pleasure park facilities all around it, you know. So it's a terribly atmospheric place. And I remember going there and the sight and sound and smells of motor racing, as you know, you know, it's, it's just such a, a rich tapestry that inspires anyone, really. And I don't think at the time I ever thought that I could have a career that would be involved with um, motorsport or cars generally. But as I kind of uh, honed down all the things that I couldn't do, uh, I had some excellent advice from somebody who said, well, why don't you try and do the thing that you're interested in and that you love? So that was cars and photography. And that's how it came about. Wonderful, wonderful. You know, my, my wife has put up with my passion for cars uh, our entire life. We just celebrated 31 years of marriage. and uh, But she's just never really been into cars that much. But I'll tell you, when I took her to the first race, which was a race uh, when we lived in Southern California in Del Mar in the fairgrounds, the Del Mar Grand Prix, it changed her whole perspective. It was like, oh, now that was cool. You know, watching it on TV was boring, but being there and feeling the cars go by, so, yeah, that's great that that uh, instilled that passion in you. Let's get under the hood and talk a little bit about a challenge in your career. I love this part of our talk because it has a lot to do with a big challenge or even a great failure that you faced along the way. But, of course, the most important part of this question is how did you overcome that situation? What did it teach you? What did you learn from it? Well, I've been trying to give this some thought, actually. Um, and, I, you know, I'm not a terribly competitive guy. I suppose, you know, being in business at all, you, you do have some ambition. But I um, had to pitch for a, a job, which I got, in fact, against another uh, couple of other photographers to shoot a set of um, stamps for the Royal Mail, which was a very prestigious um, job a few years back. Yeah. And I, I went in and I just I just knew that I wanted it. I wasn't going to leave the, uh, I was in a design agency, a very trendy design agency. So quite out of my comfort zone, because I'm, I'm quite a conservative with a small C guy, you know, <laughs> um, I was in with all these really hip people selling myself big yeah. time. So yeah. I, I really, really wanted this. Um, and when I f heard who I was up against, I thought there's no way I'm going to get this. Mm. But I just enthused about um, the project. I told them how I was the right person for the job. I didn't quite get down on my knees, but, uh, you know, I, I just made sure that I, I nailed it, you know, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm quite proud of that moment, really, because uh, it, it's, it's not something that uh, I would normally do. I tend to um, wait for the business to come to me. I, I'm not a hard sell sort of guy, you know, yeah. but I knew that it was just something I really wanted to do. And it turned out to be a really exciting project that got me a a lot of profile. Um, and I still get people uh, and pick up work from that connection to uh, the Royal Mail now. Well, congratulations. What a wonderful opportunity. Would you say then that the lesson there is putting yourself out there in front of somebody? I mean, really pushing yourself past a comfort zone that you'd, you you had not gone to before. Was that the lesson to put yourself out there? I would say when you really want something, you've just got to go for it. Um, you really mustn't worry about failure. Uh, and you guys over there in the States are, are much better at uh, reinventing yourselves uh, than we are over here. <laughs> People tend to think, well, this is what I am and I'm going to stay doing that till I die, you know. Right. And uh, so 
we've learned quite a lot from you. And as I mentioned briefly before we started our conversation, that I did actually live in the States for a while in the 1980s. And um, I learned a lot then, you know, from just the kind of can-do attitude that Americans have, you know, mm-hmm. that's uh, always, um, you know, set them straight. And in fact, you know, working with uh, Motorbooks International, who've published the Lamborghini book, you know, I've done a lot of books with them and we get on like a house on fire because, uh, you know, we, we have a similar attitude. Um, they're the great um, publishers, you know, with, with a great history. And uh, I'm a detail guy. So um, I can put it together and, you know, they can make something great out of it. Sure. Well, thanks for your kind words uh, about us uh, English people over here. But, uh, you know, Motorbooks, they are great. I have a great relationship with them. And uh, they've sent me a lot of guests here on Cars, yeah, like yourself and uh, your cohort in this book, who will be Stuart Codling, who's going to be on this show as well. They do a wonderful job, so uh, very happy to hear that. Let's shift gears here a little bit, James, and go to the other end of the spectrum. I like to talk about what I call an aha moment in your career, a moment when, uh, as I like to say, the headlights came on and kind of illuminated your way for this new idea, maybe a new direction you had for your career, your business, and tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into your success. Well, I uh, most photographers work on location, and um, that's what I how I started out. I started out shooting at racetracks, um, and then, as I mentioned, I got the job with um, the magazine 25 years ago, uh, and I'm still on the staff there now, actually. Wow. But the thing that was that's kind of changed um, things a bit for me was starting to shoot in the studio, hmm. and the shooting cars in the studio is a very specialist field. In fact, you generally find people either do studio or they do location. Right. They don't tend to shoot both. And and also, I started out in the days of film. We were shooting with um, single sheets of five by four inch film and even ten by eight inch film. Oh yeah. On uh, big land cameras, you know, they were fabulous things to use, but they were terribly slow. And um, you know, in those days, if we did one or two shots in a day, we were lucky. Nowadays, right. if I have to. We hire the studio because um, most people um, can't afford to have their own studio. And just to hire the studio is a few thousand dollars a day. So you have to get a lot done in the day. And we can actually do three full shoots in a day. Wow. So I think we shot um, the extremely rare Lamborghini Reventon um, in one day, and um, along with the Murcielago and the Gallardo um, from nice. this book. So the tremendous improvement in the technology for what I do um, has been the thing really that's transformed the way I work and you know we now shoot for magazines in the studio which is something that was kind of unheard of and I was one of the first people to do that um, because it took too long and um, we just worked out a way of doing it quicker. Very cool you know I've I've been in, I've directed photo shoots for many many years throughout my career over the last 30 30- years, hundreds, maybe thousands of them. And I remember the old days of shooting in studios with film and Polaroids and pulling all those little Polaroids and looking and trying to figure out, okay, one little thing. Oh, yes, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. and this uh, you know, this new digital age has just opened up a massive world. So that's very interesting to switch over because I've had many photographers on this show here. Michael Furman comes to mind as a great yep, studio shooter. Yeah, yeah, done a wonderful thing. And uh, I worked for years, last 20 years, with a local photographer here, David Bell. At Studio Three, and he would come in and shoot in our studio, uh, our shots, and it's really nice because when you have a studio shooter that gets involved, gets his hands into things, and and can really step forward and almost be a 
um, product designer, if you will, sometimes, and let's move this, let's move that, and and uh, it makes for a lot more creativity, I believe. So that's really cool that you got involved in studio work. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm still quite an old-fashioned guy, so even though I've given up the the large format film cameras, um, I still shoot with um, constant lighting, uh, actually tungsten lighting, like the movie lighting. I don't shoot with flash, and a lot of people use these uh, large... Um, floating ceiling light boxes and things. I think Michael does that. Yep, uh-huh. um, they look amazing. Yes. Um, and when you have your own studio, that's that's probably the right way to go. Whereas I'm moving around, so I kind of bring all my lighting and stuff to the studio and set up and build, um, uh, you know, whatever I need there on site, and then take it down at the end of the day. Yeah. So it can well, be quite a long day. Oh, I yes, I know. Been there many long days in the studio. But I'll tell you, the photographic imagery you produced for this new book about Lamborghini, absolutely spectacular. You guys did a incredible job let's talk a little bit about proudest career moments i would assume you've had many you've been shooting for so long but is there one in particular that really stands out for you well i think i've mentioned the um the stamps which was which was a a great um, privilege to to do um but i've also photographed um you know quite a lot of race drivers and in fact I, i consider that to be the most interesting part of my life i mean I photographed so many Ferraris and so many uh, Lamborghinis that um, they tend to kind of become a bit of a blur, and particularly <laughs> the, the modern ones. I like the old ones, you know, still, but yeah. uh, the modern ones, I, you know, they're, they're, they're nice. But um, it's the people, I think, behind the stories that I really like. And I've photographed uh, Sterling Moss and John Surtees. And in fact, I had a fabulous experience with John Surtees about um, 15 years ago. John, of course, is the the only man ever to win the world championship for Ferrari in Formula One on four wheels and uh, on motorcycles. Of yeah, course. yeah. Seven times, I think, world champion on motorcycles. And he's he's quite a guy to work with. We had a time where we were at Brands Hatch, which is a track in the south of England. Um, and I went there for a press day. We, and we, he was taking people for rides around the circuit in a 250 GTO Ferrari. Oh, my gosh. And uh, when I got in, I had my camera on my knee, and it was we just got round to um, Druids, which is the tightest corner, and it started snowing. Oh, my gosh. It was kind of uh, early spring yeah. morning. Yeah. And he said, oh, good-o. And he was a very much of a fingertip driver. Sure. And he changed down, and he started sliding. That then was a $10 million car. Hey. Now it's... More yeah. like a twenty-five or thirty million dollar car, yeah. all around the track and chatting to me and laughing away. Oh my gosh! So the privilege, I think, of um, meeting people like John and all the people who come to um, Goodwood and the other festivals and things, um, I'd say, is is probably one of the the best aspects of my careers. You know, this is a reoccurring theme. This show I do here, cars, yeah, of course, is about cars, but. You know, it's really about people. Obviously, I'm interviewing people like yourself, but I hear this over and over and over. I just returned from Car Week down at Pebble Beach, Monterey, Laguna Seca, meeting the people, like you mentioned, a wonderful, I mean, who gets to say they got to drive with John Surtees in a GTO in the snow? I mean, pretty unique, wonderful situation for you and experience, but uh, it really is about the people. And I love to hear you say that. It's uh, photographing people. Those moments. Uh, I had a great photographer, Jesse Alexander, on the show uh, early Jesse on. Jesse wrote the forward to my um, to my book. Actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I know Jesse quite well. I took him out to lunch. Uh, oh, there you go. Exchange. Yeah, great guy. I've yeah. known him for years, and he's you know his photography of people over the years. That iconic shot of Jim Clark, but all the yeah. people he shot. Yep. It is about the people. So I love to love to hear that. 
Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car? I talked a little bit about that wonderful uh, 3000 Austin Healey and your bike, of course, but is there one particular car, the first one that was really special to you? Doesn't have to be your first car, but something that really stood out you could share with us? Well, actually, my, my first car, <laughs> I will tell you about my first car because um, it, it kind of shows the sort of attitude that I have. It was an MGB. Nice. Um, I was 19. And uh, I don't know what it's like in the US, but over here, it's really expensive for anyone to insure a car when you're a, a young man, you know? Oh, sure. Um, plus, this car had been crashed all down one side. Oh. And I paid, I think, £230 for this car. Uh, it was a number of years ago, back in the uh, early 80s, uh-huh. 1980, I think. Yeah. I spent uh, a whole winter restoring the car, and then I tried to insure it. And I couldn't afford to insure it <laughs> to get it on the road. So I think I drove it around the block once and sold it to somebody. Yeah. But I've had, like many people have had, I've had lots of cars. But one that really stands out was when I was living in Florida. I worked for Disney there. Oh, nice. Um, when they first opened the Epcot Center. Uh, and I was recruited over here in the UK. And it changed my life, really, um, that opportunity, because it um, opened up my horizons to the rest of the world and what was possible. But while I was there, everybody else was getting the bus to work. And um, I drove past a, 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 a garage and there parked on the front lot was a 1967 Mercury Monterey. Oh, wow. Uh, it was a two-door coupe with the 390 cubic inch V8 engine. And nice. it was just a fantastic car. We got 11 people in it going to the beach, <laughs> you know. And um, I just remember the build quality, you know. I think the springs had gone on the hood. And, you know, you, the steel was so thick, you could barely lift it. It yeah. was just a fantastic car. Yeah. Uh, it used a bit of oil by then, but it was only an, a 15-year-old car at the time, of course, now. Yeah. And boy, do I wish I'd kept that. Um, it was a fantastic thing. Yeah. You know, and I, I loved that car. My dad came over to visit me, and he couldn't believe the power brakes and the power steering and just the quality of the thing. And it was only... A Monterey, you know, right. it was a Mercury. It's right. not a top of the range. It wasn't a Cadillac or anything. So I loved that car. I really did. You know, I had a great time. Very and cool. the Healy I've now had for 20 years. I bought it from Mick Walsh, uh, who's editor-in-chief at Classic Sports Car. I just met Mick on the lawn okay. at Pebble Beach. Yeah. Yep, yeah, ran right. into yeah, him. Lucky, lucky got, chap got to be chat. over there. Yeah. Okay, so he owned that car. And he it wasn't in great shape when I got it. And I've kind of generally restored it i've rebuilt all the mechanicals engine suspension and i've just done uh, um, quite a substantial body reworking just to get rid of some of the rust and yeah um the tin rot as we say over here <laughs> and um i've just taken it this evening i've been out driving it's a beautiful s- summer's evening here and um i've been driving it over to get the dreaded mot oh which yeah. is our, uh, our our test we have to get yes still. so it just has to have one of those um, but I've got a friendly local garage, and he's pretty good. I've driven that all over Europe and um, right up to the top of Scotland and down to Cornwall. And so it's been it's been a great ride. Very nice. Very nice. I love that. Yeah, that big heavy metal American iron, uh, if you will, the, the cars that well, were actually, built back then. Actually, you know then. what I saw? And I, I, when I was living over there, um, I saw a guy who, when the Austin lump had died, he put a small block Chevy engine in it. <laughs> yeah. And boy, did that car go. You know, it was much lighter and more powerful. And My father, for a while, had an MGTD, and the engine was kind of shot in it, so he put a, a little straight six Ford in that thing, believe it or not. And oh, yeah. uh, it, it made, yeah. made the thing go pretty well, so pretty yeah, cool, very cool. 
Well, let's talk uh, for a second about seller's remorse. Is there a vehicle that you've owned that you let go that you really wish you had back in your garage? Is it that Mercury or is there something else? Well, yeah, I mean, the Mercury, yeah. I mean, I, I, I had a really lovely, um, another MG at a midget, a round wheel arch 1275 midget, which I um, put a, a hot cam in and it was a, a, a fast little car, you know, and we tweaked the suspension to give it a bit more negative camber on the front and stiffened up the roll bar and that was a little street rod really yeah. um i mean it looked fairly stock i think i took the bumpers off it off cool. it but uh, it was in um a fabulous car and i sold it to a friend actually so i, I get to kind of see it occasionally you there know. you go yeah it's you get to visit <laughs> but um that was the the joy of you know those little sports cars that um you know you guys picked up on as well and you know oh, yeah I, I when i lived in america after i sold the mercury i bought a um, an Austin Healey Sprite out there. Cool. It had not been well looked after, and it <laughs> fell apart. I think yeah, while I had it. So. Yeah. I mean, I've had, I've had a lot of other cars. Um, I'm trying to think what else that, that that it's in the mix. No, I think yeah. I mean, the Healey really is the thing. I never thought I'd be able to own one. I I bought it with a friend from Mick, and then he needed his roof fixing. About five years later, so I bought him out of his share. There you go. And it's the best thing I've I've ever done, really. And uh, it's a two plus two, so we can get the kids in the back. Although they're getting a bit big now. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, my my uh, car life began when I was four or five years old. My dad had an MGTC, and my sister and I used to ride in that little luggage compartment on the back. You know, you know our heads were higher than mom and dad's heads when we were in the cars, which were fun. But my first ride in an open sports car, an MGA. I was one, oh, year, yeah. one year old. Lovely. So hey, There is one car, actually, um, that I drove for a feature that was going to go to auction. And it was about 15 years ago that I, I really wish I could have afforded. And it's, it's, it's one of those things that you never can afford it at the time. Maybe if I'd sold the Healy, I could have had a go at it. But it was an Acea Seeker, which is, you know, the coupe version of, of the Ace. Of the Ace, and, yeah. Uh, it'd been owned by um, Donald Campbell the um, land speed record okay. um, yeah. driver. And it, it had the Bristol engine in it, um, which was a, a very sweet engine, um, beautifully balanced car. Nice. And I think it sold for about um, $15,000. Oh, goodness. At auction. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think I've seen that car now, and it's about $125,000. Yeah, yeah. It's not just the financial side. It was a lovely car. We drove it on a shoot up around um, the Lake District. Nice. Um, and it was just a lovely thing oh yeah um, so Beautiful. yeah that would have been a, that was the car that got away yeah we all have those too oh my goodness you know i usually talk at this point in our chat about current projects but i want to have you talk a little bit about this book because it is absolutely spectacular lamborghini supercars 50 years it's a book you did along with Stuart coddling uh produced by motor books uh, maybe if you could talk a little bit about this project for us, what it involved, uh, what kind of things you got to do, some really great experiences with the project. Yeah, well, I um, I have a great friend with the publisher, Zach Miller, who is their um, managing director. Zach has been a guest here on Cars, yeah. Yeah, well, that's right, he has. Yep. And um, we have a, an annual lunch when he comes over for the London Book Fair, and we talk about projects that we'd like to do, and he tells me projects he'd like to do, and I usually go along with a a list about of about a dozen things and uh, he ends up talking me around to doing something that he wants to do <laughs> and actually that was the situation on this occasion he said look uh, um i'd r- we'd really love to do a lamborghini book are you interested 
And, um, you know, generally, I'm, I'm always interested in a, a long term project. I particularly like things I can do over the winter. Yes, <laughs> because it's not just uh, I don't want to be cold outside, but the studio projects obviously work well. People have their cars off the road. Right. And also, uh, if you're trying to shoot outside in the summer, uh, that's all well and good. But if you try and shoot outside in the winter, it's, it's tough. Very hard. You know, it's tough to get. People have a similar expectation of what they're going to get. Right. And generally, they're not going to get it, you know. So um, when I have a a big book like this, we actually mixed up the studio and the location work on the book. I had some contacts from a book I'd done for Motorbooks before called Art of the Supercar with some Lamborghini owners. And I contacted them again and asked them if they'd like to be involved again. So the stunning um, Mura, the blue car that's in there, is from that project. And I've collected the others along just by contacting people and asking them if they'll let me shoot their car. Yeah. But it's quite a big ask to phone up and let somebody um, borrow your, their million pound car. Oh, you know? yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys did an absolutely fantastic job. And the, the, the photographs, there's a lot of shots in there, not only of beautiful cars, but of the factory and things. Are those shots, did you get to go to the factory and take those no, pictures? I, well, I did get to go to go, go to the factory. I went out um, to Italy um, and um, talked to the guys at Lamborghini, and um, they were a little bit cagey about, <laughs> about things. Um, and in the end, actually, it was their press guy over in the U.S. Mm-hmm. who supplied me with a lot of those images for the book, which okay. was very of them and um because they do kind of um add uh, another layer and a depth to the story while i was out there i also went to meet some of the family of the lamborghini family and they have their own museum um, which is dedicated to ferruccio lamborghini themselves and uh, the curator there is fabio lamborghini who is the nephew yes and he very generously agreed to write the foreword for this book but while I was there, I also met Tonino Lamborghini, who is um, Ferruccio's son. Mm-hmm. And he gave me a tour of the museum and all the personal uh, stories connected to that. Wonderful. So that was probably the highlight was, was going out there. Yeah, absolutely. The other Wonderful. one that was very interesting was trying to find a Reventon. Mm-hmm. Now, there are only 14 Reventons ever made. Mm-hmm. And we knew that there was one in the UK. But with a car that rare, first of all, you've got to find it. Then you've got to find out who it is that has the the say-so about whether you can borrow it. Right. And bear in mind, we're taking these cars away in a trailer, oh, yeah. you know, off to a studio. So in the end, uh, it all worked fine. But we had a few um, ups and downs. And it probably took me six months to actually nail that car and actually get it. And it was only about a week before deadline on the book that we finally shot it. Um, we, we decided that we weren't going to run uh, pictures of it. We were just going to use some press shots and then the guy got back to me and said the owner's changed his mind. Nice. And he would like me to do it. The owner generally, of course, will get a full studio set of shots. Mm-hmm. So there is something in it for them, plus the prestige of having their car in a book. Oh, absolutely. Fantastic. Wonderful. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, James. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? Well, I've given this some thought. And um, I, I reckon... Uh, I'd probably be a, a fairly kind of beat-up classic um, pickup truck. Okay. Something like an old uh, 1950s F-150 or something like that, because I suppose I'm I'm kind of practical, you know, reliable, and I don't really care what I look like, you know? <laughs> so um, and I, kinda, I, I like that uh, patina 
yeah. of the unrestored vehicles, you know, and I, I consider myself to be fairly unrestored. <laughs> you have a nice patina. <laughs> yes, that's it. Yeah, I buff up quite well, but uh, the rust still shows through. There you go. That's why I like that question. Well, James, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsor. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. All right, James, we're back and we're entering the last lap, and this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Okay. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? Only break in a straight line. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Great Definitely. advice. Yep, yep. Yeah. Keep, keep it on the road, especially on those wet English roads. <laughs> you don't want to exit backwards through the hedge. Uh, no, no. I've had many Porsche 911s, so you learn that trick, especially in the 930 Turbo that I have. Could you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success over the years? I struggled a bit with this one, I have to say, Mark. Um, a personal habit. You're right. I mean, it is, a, it is a very aspirational career. And, you know, the colleges and universities are churning out thousands of photographers, of which quite a lot of the guys want to be car photographers, you sure. know? Yeah. Um, and they're not going to make it. Um, and I think I'd go back to that point I made right at the start of our uh, interview, which is we're in a communication business. Photography is communicating, right. and but it's not good enough just to be a great photographer. You've got to be able to talk to people, um, and you've got to work hard. You know, it is a tough business. And um, even though I have the Austin Healey in the garage, I've owned it twenty years. I, I'm not a rich guy. You know, you don't make a lot of money over here by being a magazine photographer. The advertising guys they make good money, yeah. But actually, people are not um, shooting cars and advertising as much now. A lot more of that is just done in CAD design now. So, you know, I think really if I was to offer any thoughts on that, it would be really that you've just got to be a good communicator. And I think I worked as a waiter for years mm. and that helped me, you know. Yeah. So just do a variety of jobs, preferably dealing with people because it's always going to stand you in good stead. Yes. Yeah. Proper communication is the key to our success. That's a line that I used to use for years in my previous career. Do you have a resource that you think our listeners would really enjoy? Do you know, I had, again, I had to think about that. And I was thinking one of the things that has completely revitalized the classic car world is Lord March and Goodwood, mm. you know. And I, I would say that's not just a, an effect that's happened in Britain, but it's happened, you know, in Europe as well. He raised the game for events, he raised the game for motor racing, 
in classic racing, you know, where the guys are really going for it still. Yeah. Um, and just his organization um, is just phenomenal. If any of your listeners have been to the Festival of Speed or the Revival, or in fact, there's a new um, event that he's been doing for just two years now called the Members Meeting, which is a smaller meeting held in March. They've just completely transformed the business of classic motorsport. You know, there are now dozens of companies who prepare cars, um, who are restoring them. Obviously, they were there already, but there's just more people. He's made it more accessible and fun, you know. Absolutely. And so as a resource, I would say that just Goodwood itself has just really, really been inspirational to most people who work in the classic world, you know. It's just it's just a fantastic. Uh, I'm going to get over there one of these years. It's on You've my got list. To come. Yes, You've got I have to. Come. to. I, I have tell to. everyone to come. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, generally we have decent weather. You never know. It yep. is England after all. That's okay. I live up here in the Northwest. I'm used to a little rain. No problems there. How about a book? I mean, we talked about your book. You've done other books. But is there one book in particular you'd like the Cars Yeah listeners to enjoy? Well, actually, um, I think the book I'm I'm most proud of, apart from the, the new one, of course, um, is a book that I started out doing about 10 years ago. And we've had a recent update of that called Art of the Formula One Race Car. Nice. And what we did was we we took um, Formula One cars and we put them in the studio. Uh, my signature style is a, generally on a black background. And we tried to get the viewer to look at them as art. Now, that sounds like quite a high concept. And, uh, you know, but actually um, there is art, not in just in the way they were driven, but in the way they were designed. There's art behind the engineering. The book was tremendously successful. And I think it introduced a lot of people who were unfamiliar with Formula One in the United States to the cars and particularly some of the classic cars that we photographed. I was fortunate enough to photograph the Mercedes 196 um, Streamliner that Fangio and Moss raced in 1955 over in Germany for that book, as well as a number of other amazing cars. And uh, I still look at it today and think, yeah, that's a great book. And hopefully every 10 years or so, we'll update it with some of the more modern cars. Wonderful. It is a fantastic book. And I'll remind our listeners, you can find links to all these great resources James has been so kind to share with us at carsyad.com slash James Mann, M-A-N-N. Just uh, click on his show notes page and you'll see links uh, to those. We also have a great place here on Cars Yeah, guest recommended books, where you can easily access the books that James has mentioned today and his other books. So James, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the price because today I'm going to write the check. What would that one vehicle be <laughs> and why? I hope you've got deep pockets, Mark. Oh, you know, you know, you're know, you going to be my 343rd car I've bought in the last 13 yeah, months. Yeah, so I, I know. Yeah, blimey, you have got deep pockets. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> so this is a car that I have a personal uh, connection with because uh, when I first started uh, Classic and Sports Car, I went on a, an event called the Acura Cost Tour, which was um, a bunch of guys driving their cars around the glens and the mountains of Scotland. It was absolutely fabulous. And I really thought I've landed on my feet here. Yeah. And I had a ride on my birthday. It was May. My birthday's in May. Down through Glencoe, which I don't know if you've ever seen it, is a, a stunning valley with a road that runs down the side. And oh, it's yeah. a fast road mm-hmm. um, with um, 
uh, a chap who was uh, an Alfa Romeo restorer called Paul Grist. Oh. Um, and he, he still races, actually. Um, but we And we were in Tazio Nuvolari's old 1933 Grand Prix Alfa Romeo Monza. Ooh. Um, and it's just the most extraordinary car. It's straight eight engine. And he said, I can put this in top gear at eight miles an hour. And then it, you could accelerate up to 145 miles an hour in the same gear. It had that much torque. Wow. And it didn't really have two seats. In those days, the Grand Prix cars had a space for a riding mechanic, although they'd stopped using them by then. Mm-hmm. It was one and a half seats. So when we got over 100 miles an hour, I was kind of sitting in the wind, you know. Oh, my gosh. But uh, the sound, the smell, I wouldn't have thought you'd get much change out of, again, $30 million um, <laughs> for that car. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's knocking around somewhere, and uh, that's what I'd go for. All right. Awesome choice. Awesome choice and great story that goes with it. Well, James, you've taken me on a great ride today. Really enjoyed talking with you. I appreciate you ringing me up all the way from uh, Dorset, England today. It's been really fun to talk with you. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with me and the Cars Yeah listeners. Is there one parting piece of guidance you can offer us before you drive off down that valley in that Alfa Romeo Monza? Oh, uh, yes. Well, um, yeah. I, do you know what I, I would say is that um, don't become a car bore because <laughs> it does nobody any favors, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there's more to life than cars. We all love cars. We know that. But actually, you do meet people who will talk about the under tray of their Volkswagen Beetle for hours, you know? <laughs> yeah. And um, it, it doesn't set all the rest of us normal guys mm-hmm. in a good light. Yeah. So that would be my passing thought was uh, get, a, get a life and don't be a cardboard. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and what you're doing these days? Okay. Well, um, I have um, a website, which is just jamesman.com. And on there, I have a blog. Um, and I put up, there's my portfolio work. There's a, um, uh, an album of studio images and an album of location work. Um, and also stuff on there, which will give you links to my Twitter feeds and Facebook, um, LinkedIn and all the rest of it. So uh, that's the best way to find me. Great. Awesome. Well, listeners, again, you can find these links on James' show notes page at carsyad.com. Just put James in the search bar and his page will pop right up. Hey, James, thanks for being so generous with your time today and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. See you soon. Cheers. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!